Good morning. Good to be with you. We are in uh, Exodus 25, so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn there with me, that would be wonderful. Moses has been up on the mountain with God, and he has spent 40 days with the Almighty in the glory of God. And God is speaking to his heart, and God is sharing his life for Moses as well as for the people of Israel. And one of the things that he is teaching Moses is how to be a people who worship God, Yahweh. I want to teach my people how to come into my presence. And God is drawing near and God is bringing his people, calling them into worshiping him. And it's interesting to me that as we look at chapter 25 and as we see what God is doing, one of the first things that God talks about in regards to worship is the offering. You know, we don't like to bring up offering very much. We don't like to talk about money issues. They always seem to be a touchy subject. And the reason is many churches have abused these gifts. Many preachers have taken advantage of people in the body. Many churches have taught about giving and, and the offering in sense of personal benefit. You will be blessed financially if you give. Prosperity gospel, we call that. Sends people down the wrong path. Some churches talk about money all the time. It seems like every time they're together, they want more money from you. Some churches... Never talk about money at all because they don't want to cause any waves. They want everything to be happy and good. I think for those of you who have been fellowshipping with us a long time, I think one of the things hopefully that you know is that we are a church that wants to teach the whole counsel of God. This is why we go book by book, verse by verse. We want you to know what God has to say about issues of life and how to love him and how to worship him. And God says to Moses, have them bring me an offering. God is teaching on what it means to give. And we would not be as pastors, good stewards of God's truth, if we did not bring to you God's heart for giving as we enter into worship. The Lord said to Moses, chapter 25, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold and silver, bronze and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ramskid dyed red, hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. I will dwell among them. And they are to worship me. And I want us to see some principles that I think the Lord is pulling out about bringing our gifts to God as an act of worship. First of all, it is God who makes the request. Moses, this is what I want you to do to tell the people. 
This isn't Moses' deal. This isn't the church's deal. This is God's deal. I want you to tell them to bring me, God, Yahweh, an offering, a gift. It is his design for worship. The second thing that we see is that he doesn't force that upon them, does he? He says what what has been stirred in their hearts to give. What has been prompted in their soul to give. Psalm 96 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts to worship him. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 said, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion or manipulation. For God loves a cheerful giver. And what we see in these, in these verses about a heart that prompts and what he has decided in his heart is that there is an action that God is doing a work in your lives way before you get here about, hey, this is how I want you to give. It is a stirring. And as you go to God, you are deciding with God, Lord, what would you have me do with your money? Where would you like me to give? How much? How little? What, what do you have for me? What has been decided in the heart? It's not just show up here and let's hopefully get this done, get it out of the way. It's a preparation of our heart to worship God. The offering was not for the benefit of Aaron and Moses. It wasn't so they could get nice clothes and a fancy house. It was not an offering to the church. The gift was to God. You see, you're not coming here giving to the church. You're not. You're responding in obedience to God's call on your life to enter into worship, to give to him. But to be real honest, it doesn't matter as you give to this church what the church does with the money. The church is called to be good stewards of the money. And if you've been here long enough, I think you know uh, this church seeks out God's heart all the time for the finance of this church and where it goes. We are an open book. If you ever want to know, please ask. There's nothing hidden here. We are about God's kingdom work. But it isn't a matter if, if we put it to the Philippines or if we put it to Young Life. or That's not the important part. The part is, is that I come and I give to God because that's my spiritual act of worship before him. He calls us. It's about a work on our heart. And it's always meant to deal with the heart. It truly is. The song we just sang, that we would surrender. It is a work of God allowing us to trust him. When we go, I know I have certain bills I have to pay, yet you always are my provision, and so I trust as I give, because I worship you. It's commitment to God. I worship you alone, and I want your kingdom work to go forth, and I want to give to you and you alone. It's a recognition that we are giving back. 
Do you understand? God could take it all. He, he owns it all. As quickly as he gave it, he can take it. It's his. And so he calls us to bring it forth to him. The fact that he even receives it as an act of worship is a gift to us. One way that I can offer worship to you, God, to bring my gifts. It's like a father who gives his child $10 to go and actually buy himself a birthday gift, the father a gift. Have you done that before? And so the, the, the child goes out with the $10 that he has received and, and buys a gift for the father. And when the father opens it, he really is receiving his own. It's his. But do you understand? Giving of the gift is significant in our relationship with God. The giving of the gift. It's the, the little boy or girl going out and, and what a joy to, to get her father or mother present. Why? Because of the relationship and out of adoration for the father. It's the affection of the child upon the father. And so as we learn through Exodus this morning, as we learn to come into worship and to say, God, here I am to worship. May we do that with joyful hearts. May we give our gifts because we adore the Father. May we learn to worship with beauty and delight in who God is. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you are the giver of good things. And Lord, I struggle in this area. I struggle to know how to give. I don't always know what that means. And yet, Lord, you continue to call me to, to bring what has been on my heart, what you've prompted me to, to you, to trust you, to, to bless you in worship. Lord, I do. I want to worship you more. Lord, I want to surrender to you. And Father, I think of the gift of uh, Sophia Wilson, this beautiful little girl. This gift that you gave to her family. And Lord, as she's had tumors in her brain as the family has come and worshipped you by saying, Lord, here is our daughter, the gift you gave us, and we give her back to you because she is yours. And I thank you for covering that family, and I thank you for drawing them closer to you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your healing hand upon that little girl. How she went through these two surgeries and how the doctors have said they both were as successful as they could be. 
And now we wait for full recovery. And we want to thank you in advance, and we want to thank you for just all your good work in her life and and a family who is devoted to you. May we surrender, all of us, to you. And Lord, as we come to you with our gifts this morning, may it be a joy for our heart, not reluctantly, may it be a delight for us. Lord, you dwell with us, and we want to come and draw closer. Father, here we are to worship you. May you be pleased with our worship. Here we are to worship. And God has set up his tabernacle and says he will dwell among his people. And so we're going to take this morning to go through the tabernacle and to rejoice in him and see who he is and his heart for us as he set up this dwelling place. And we're going to go from chapters 25 through 31, the end of 31. And I don't know how Kramer snuck that one in on me again. These seven chapters, he's like, oh, I don't know what happened, Richie. Love my brother. God is coming close. God is drawing us in. And we are coming closer to him. To worship him. And so he says, build for me a sanctuary. And we have some pictures of the sanctuary, a model of what that might have looked like. Let them construct a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. It was really a simple, beautiful tent, 15 feet by 45 feet, made of colors of scarlet and blue and purple. God loved those colors. He uses them over and over. And as we look at this design as this of the layout of the tabernacle, as people would come into the courtyard and enter in, As we look at the steps and coming closer and closer to the Holy of Holies, I want us to see Jesus all the way through the tabernacle. All the way from the courtyard and coming through the courtyard in the most holy place and into the Holy of Holies. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and made his dwelling, his tabernacling, that's a word, with us. And he is tying it in, John is tying it in specifically to the tabernacle of the Exodus. He tabernacles with us. God is near. God wants to dwell with his people. All throughout the history of mankind. And what he wants to show, if we can show the layout, uh, the map of the temple. He says this over and over again. He says, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern that I have shown you on the mountain. He says this at least five times, maybe six, where he says everything, the details that I tell you, and as you read through this, 
We're not going to obviously read through all that. It's detail after detail after detail. And God is very clear saying, make sure. Make sure you do according to what I've asked you. Because this layout of the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, is to show us about Jesus Christ and his salvation. And you will see Jesus all the way through this. God, first, as he speaks about the arrangement of setting this up, he speaks first of the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, make it all of gold and you are to have this, again, not very big, about three feet, four feet. Make it and put in it the Ten Commandments and there is to be an atonement covering. And on top of the atonement covering, there is to be the cherubim. And they are to have their wings spread out and where they meet. And they are to face the covering of pure gold. And this is the place that God speaks of first. And I want us to look at the most holy place first and then we will learn how we get there. This most holy thing, the Ark of the Covenant, made famous through Indiana Jones. We know it. This was made first because God is setting up things exactly what surrounds him. Why not do the tent first or some other pieces of furniture? Because it's all about him. It's all about coming to worship him who is holy God. And the scriptures say, as you look at this picture, look above the wings of the cherubim. There, this is 25:22. there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and I will give you my commands. This was the very center. This was the place in the most holy place above the wings of the cherubim, God rested there. The center of his being. That the Israelites will know this is where our holy God is. Obviously the walls can't contain him, but God chose to rest there. He was putting first things first. It was again just a four foot by three foot box covered in gold and again had the rings on it that that you would put poles through. They were never to be removed. And you were to carry the ark on the poles. Do you remember the story of King David who wanted to bring the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem and along the way, as they placed the ark along uh, on the donkey cart, along the way it hit some potholes. And it started to shimmy and rock. And the ark of the covenant started to slide off of the donkey cart. And Uzzah puts up his hands to to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant, boom, he drops dead. And we all go, poor Uzzah, so unfair. Have we forgotten God's holiness? Have we forgotten who he is? God Almighty, holy God, sinful people, were you disobedient in the fact that you put me on a donkey cart when I was to be carried Holy God, you are worshiping. I dwell here, and I want to be in your presence, and I want to have relationship, and I want you to come and worship me, but I'm setting up how worship looks like. 
And these cherubim, these powerful angels mentioned, mentioned literally over a hundred times in Scripture, they aren't the happy little chubby-cheeked angels. You know, there's that famous postcard, there's two side by side, and they're smiling at each other. We've sent it all for Christmas cards. You've got them. That was not the cherubim. They are seen in Ezekiel as these massive creatures with, with a face of, of man and of a lion and of an ox and of an eagle. And they are large and six wings and powerful. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve had the joy of walking with God? Do you understand? You can't miss this. From the beginning of creation... God wants to dwell with man. He loved just walking with Adam and Eve. And he loved just sharing his heart with them. He loved receiving just joy and love from them. He loved that relationship. And then they chose to be disobedient. And they were kicked out of the garden, Genesis teaches us. And standing at the gate of the garden was who? The cherubim. Mighty. And strong. Nothing unholy will come into the presence of holy God. Ever. We stand as the royal armory for the King of Kings. We are the ones who will make sure no impurity will come before the Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. And so this picture that we've had of the Ark of the Covenant was an earthly symbol of a heavenly reality. Our God is awesome and holy and good. And the cherubim were meant to put their face towards the Ark of the Covenant. They too lowered their gaze in the presence of the Most Holy. And the space above the wings was empty Do you understand? This is where false gods came in. Let's build an image. Let's place something in this space that we can worship so that we have something practical, tangible. There is no image here. There is the dwelling of God. He rested here. And he said, bring me an offering. I will make, you will make a tabernacle for me and I will meet with you there. It was called the tent of meeting. Picture this, holy God dwelling above. What's below in the ark? The Ten Commandments. Later on, we'll have the jar of manna. Later on, also in that, we'll have the the, uh, rod of Aaron, which will bud. Holy God, Ten Commandments. God looking upon the covenant with Israel that was made in chapter 24. They could not... Keep the covenant. Judgment had to happen. Sacrifice had to be made. In between was what was called the mercy seat, the covering, the atonement covering. It was used once a year on the Day of Atonement. And the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. The scriptures say, Aaron shall bring a bull of his own sin offering to make an atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. And then he is to take some of the bull's blood, and with his finger, he is to sprinkle it on the 
corner of the atonement covering. And then he is to go before the Ark of the Covenant and seven times sprinkle blood before. Complete, whole, acceptable blood shed for us to cover the sin. And then he would go in and he would take a goat and he would do the same thing as an atonement for the people of Israel. God above, the law below, there has to be consequence. Holy God cannot be in the presence of sinful people. And as God looks down, there is the blood spilt. And all he can see is the covering of the sacrifice. The atonement cover. Do you see Jesus? This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I came to dwell with you. I want you to come and worship me. I want us to be closer. And I will provide a way. Let's go to the layout of the map. There is this courtyard. And God calls us in again to be closer with us. And there was the courtyard that was the outside area of the, where the tabernacle was. And there was only one way to, to come in. Let's go back to the, uh, the map, please. And so they would enter in one way. And actually that gate there was made, again, of scarlet and of blue and of purple and of white. These colors that God used for his sanctuary. One way in. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody can come to the Father, holy God, but by me, Jesus says of himself. And in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the gate. And so by him we enter in. And the first thing that we encounter is the altar. Let's show the altar. It's the first thing that was brought in, the place of sacrifice daily for the sins of Israel every single day every single day every single day at least two offerings were made every day then people would also bring in sin offerings to be made the altar was always burning and so here is this visualization as you come into the courtyards that the my life of sin is here and is obvious to me and that there needs to be blood shed. That Israel understood their total depravity as every day the offerings were made for more than a thousand years. Hebrews says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins And so before they ever entered in, they had to encounter, and the altar was maybe this big, like the piano. And 
They had to encounter the forgiveness and receive that and say, God, I receive you. Here is my sacrifice. May it be pleasing to you. And it was. And so they are forgiven. You cannot take any steps closer to God without the altar of sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins. That's what they first encountered. The altar is the cross. The altar is the cross. And so as the people came in to the courtyards and offered the sacrifice, there before them the altar, you know what? It was great joy for them. As it is for you and me. Why? Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord, and my flesh cries out to the living God. Better is one day in your courts, O God, than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 84. I rejoice because I come into this relationship. I can step closer. And God, you are here. You are up on the mountain. And now you have come and and made your dwelling in our midst. And I can come into your courtyards and I can rejoice because I am forgiven. Thank you, God. Christ did not enter that man-made sanctuary. There was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear to God for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once and for all to the end of all the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9 speaks of this. And as they went from the altar, the next place that they went before was the basin of washing. This was for the priest before they were to enter into the holy place. And as sacrifice had been made, they now had to cleanse themselves. A wonderful symbolic picture of purification of our, of our lives. Of the sanctification process. God is working in us. He is cleansing us daily. He is making us more like Him. And so, we are forgiven We do no longer suffer the penalty of death that we deserve as we believe upon Jesus Christ. The altar, the sacrifice has been made, but now I want to come closer and Lord, draw me and forgive me. And I cleanse and I am pure. Who can ascend the mountain of God but those with a pure heart and clean hands? The wonderful good news is that we are, we are washed whiter than snow. But like King David came, and as he speaks of that in Psalm 51, we are washed whiter than snow. You have forgiven my sin against Bathsheba. I want to follow you. I want to be obedient. My life is for you. And yet I continue to stumble, and Lord, purify me. And so the washing is the purification. It is you and I, every day, going, Lord, ah, I want to live for you. Forgive me. Forgive me. Wash me. 
And the Lord says as we wash, as we bring our offerings to him of forgiveness, as we confess our sins that he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And so we say, thank you, Lord. This is the joy of our relationship in Christ. No longer the guilt, no longer the shame. We are cleansed, and we know we are sinners. And Peter says, but wash all of me, God. He says, no, no, Peter, just your feet. You're going to pick up dust along the way. It's true of each of us. Let's just wash our feet and keep on walking. Keep on walking because you are forgiven. And they're drawing closer and closer. And so now comes a time where the priest can enter into the most holy place. Or actually the holy place, excuse me. And in the holy place is the table of presents and the golden lampstand and the altar of incense. I think we might have a photo of this. And there is the elements here and the priest would come in. This is the golden lampstand. This is the table of showbread. Here is the altar of incense, all covered in gold. You see outside in the courtyard, the brazen altar and the, the basin of washing was in bronze. When you come into the presence of the most holy, the only thing fitting for a king is gold. And so things were made of gold to honor him. The table of presence. It was a simple table reminded us that, that this whole thing was not built on a grand scale, was it? The tabernacle fit easily right in here. You know, we all have images of what we think this might look like, and it was real simple, but it was God dwelling with man. The magnificence was the message, God with us. And on this table was 12 loaves of bread, flat bread. And they were, every Sabbath, the priest would come in, and they would eat those 12 loaves. All week long, they had been preparing the fresh 12 loaves. And so then they would bring in the new bread of presence on the table. And it was placed before God in the holy place. It actually literally means placed before God's face, that he was looking upon it always. The 12 loaves symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, I look upon always you. Jesus prays and teaches us, give us this day our daily bread. The bread symbolized God's provision for us. It wasn't a food offering to a pagan God. Our dear friends, the Eitmillers, who are going back to Indonesia, are trying to move into a a place in Bali, and they're having a hard time finding a home because in front of every home, they have a meal offering to pagan gods. Let's bring the meal. And they're trying to find a home where they don't have that because people will come daily and make offering at their home. The landlords will. This wasn't a meal offering to God. It was bread in the presence of God, that he is the presence, and that I look upon you every day. 
It is that God is our sustenance. I know that your medical bills are piling up. I know that the situation at work is not going well and that you're looking elsewhere and your heart is in struggle. I know as I look upon you that your family member is hurting. I know that you're wondering how you're going to make it through till tomorrow. I've got you before my face. I am your life, your bread. And Jesus says exactly that. I am the bread of life. You will never go hungry as you eat upon me. The golden lampstand went into the tabernacle. The tabernacle was covered with four heavy sheets, blankets. There was no light in that holy place without the lampstand. And it was set up like a tree with seven branches. We know it well as a menorah. And at the end of each branch was a, a, a flowering, uh, molded into a flowering almond bud. And, and then there was oil placed in it. And it was to burn all the time. The altar of it outside was to burn all the time. The light was to burn all the time. Every day the priests were making sure that it would never go out. It was practical. It provided light for the holy place. But it symbolized the light and life of God. Without light, there is no life. Everything grows because of light penetrating. It is God Himself. And this is the message that we've heard, that God is light. There is no darkness at all. And that God is drawing near the light also had an idea of coming into a a home. And the light is on. Draw near. Jesus brings life and light to all. In him was life and the light that was to all men. And I am, Jesus says, the light of the world. And you know what? As we have, you and I have received Christ, we have received the light. We have been opened up to all of spiritual truth and and the life of God in us. And and Ephesians says that, that we are made alive in Christ. This faith in Christ is not a dead, dead faith that just sits there and it's like, oh, we are made alive. We are full of the abundance of Christ. I have given you to the full. And as we have seen God, as he has penetrated our souls, as he has forgiven us and cleansed us, and as the light has given us new life, Matthew says, you are the light of the world, you and me. You don't hide that light. You let it shine before men so they might see your good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. The light of the world. Are you seeing Jesus? Don't make a mistake, Moses, when you set up this tabernacle. Do everything I tell you to the detail because I want them to see salvation. Then they came before the high priest, the altar of incense. And as they came before, it was this beautiful aroma unto God. And they were to place the altar right in front of the ark of the covenant lined up. And before that was the curtain to the Holy of Holies. 
incense were to burn daily. Some said the incense were to create smoke so you wouldn't look into the Holy of Holies. Some say it was fitting for a king as incense went before kings. Some said it was actually to cover the stench of of sacrifice every day. But the scriptures speak to what the altar of incense was. Oh Lord, I call to you. Come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. And in Revelation 5, we see the saints under the altar, the incense going up, the prayers to God. And God who dwells with man and who draws us near and who wants to receive our worship says, come to me in prayer. And can you picture this? How cool it would have been to be the priest. Here you are, right here. The curtain. Here's God, his dwelling spot. Hear my prayer, God. And God receiving the beautiful aroma of our heart to him. Hear my prayer, Lord. I surrender to you. Help. I love you. Thank you. An aroma that touches the heart of God. And that curtain that was there was torn at the death of Christ and his resurrection. Ripped apart. We got full access And so we cry out, Abba, Daddy, because we have gained entrance into the throne room of God. And in the middle of all of these acts of leading us into the Holy of Holies, there was the priest doing all this work. They had a service set apart unto God. And they were consecrated for him. They were washed and they were sacrificed made. They were anointed with oil. And they would go in with the the ephod and the breastplate with the tribes of Israel on them. The burden before God and bringing before God the people of Israel. In Exodus 28.2, it says this, of the, of the design of the, what they were to wear. Have Aaron, your, excuse me, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and to give him honor. Make sacred garments. Sacred actually means holy. To give them dignity, which means glory. To give them honor, which means beauty. Amazing attributes to God. And then on their forehead, they had a golden plate that said, Holy unto God. And so as they went into the Holy of Holies, they went holy unto God. I am cleansed. I am pure before you. I have access to you, holy God. And we as a people want to come to you, O God. This is Jesus. And then Jesus was the tabernacle of God. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. And then we are given in Corinthians 6 and Corinthians, we now are the temple of the living God. We now are the ones who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are the ones who carry about the glory of God. And may we, as people of God, come into worship of Him and say, God, I want to be holy for You. I want my life to live for You. I want to reflect like the priest's garments that reflected Your attributes, that embodied God. I want to be that. I don't want to make choices that sin against You. I want to be set apart unto You. We are the tabernacle. We are the reflection of Christ to a broken and lost world. 
And so God is calling us to obedience and into worship with him because he wants mankind to draw in. I have come down to set up tabernacle with you. And now in the fullest form, I in you. God dwells in us. We are the tabernacle. May we live holy unto God. May we be pleasing unto God. May we be purified before our Lord. Here I am to worship. Father, we come to you humbly and amazed at your love for mankind all the way through history, that you always want to dwell with us, that you, you loved being in the garden with Adam and Eve, and you want that with us. And one day, Lord, that will be in its purest form, holy cleansed in your presence. But, Father, help us, help each and every one of us to, to set our lives apart unto you. That this tabernacle, although we're a broken pot, that the glory of you would shine through us, we pray. Lord, here we are to worship. Please receive our offering. May our lives be pleasing to you. Amen.